If you don't mind, I'm going to read three different portions of scripture because I'm, I'm going to use them to prove a point this morning. That's kind of what preaching is. So uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to do that. I'm going to read several portions of scripture from Acts and we're going to dig into the second week of suddenly. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Okay. As I said last week, I know where the amen should be in this sermon. So if you could help me out, that would be very much appreciated. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised them up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now we're going to jump down to verse 37 of that same chapter. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Look at your neighbor and say, It's time to build a bigger building. 3,000 people were added to the church on that day. That's so mind-boggling. How are you going to have a potluck dinner? How do you do that with 3,000 people? You would have 700 dishes of macaroni and cheese. You'd have 1,000 dishes of that stuff where you do green beans and corn and potatoes all in the same thing. You'd throw in a chunk of ham. Be crazy. All right, Acts chapter 3. We're going to skip down to Acts chapter 3, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over to, to the Father whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. He thus fulfilled repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom you, heaven must receive into the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. 
And you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the people who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all families of earth be blessed. God having raised up his servants sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. God, we have one ask of you today. We ask one thing. Empower us. Change us today. As we look into your word, you you made the promise that it would renew our minds. It would change the way we think. We pray that you would do that today. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to be your witness. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen and amen. You may be seated. Now, I know it seems like every Sunday we go back through the same story. Jesus was arrested in the garden. The disciples were with him. The Bible says that they flee. It says that one of them ran out of his clothes. I've never run that fast. They flee. The Bible says that that night, Peter is is with John in the courtyard. Jesus is being tried and Peter denies him three times. Jesus is consequently crucified. Three days later, he rises from the dead miraculously. The Bible says the disciples are still fearing for their lives. They lock themselves in a room for for at least a week, maybe more. For fear of the Jews, the Bible says that Jesus reveals himself in all kinds of ways through this period of time. And we covered that all last month. We covered him revealing himself over and over in confusion and fear and doubt and all these circumstances. So so now we fast forward 50 days from the Passover when Jesus was killed. You fast forward 50 days is the Feast of Pentecost. It's a celebration. Jesus, about a week earlier, had told the disciples, go and wait Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise that my father had given you that you'll be filled with power to be a witness. So we talked about that. So, so they're in the upper room. They have no idea when or what or how, or they have no idea about anything. And so the Bible says a sound, something like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Now they didn't have a reference for like trains, but I think it might've sounded something like that. Ooh. Anybody live by a train? That familiar big roar coming by your house? This sound that was unmistakable swept through the room. And then it said, tongues like fire rested on each one of them. Now, I don't know. Now we would say they had an, a fire emoji above their head. I don't know what it looked like. There's so many things in scripture that happen that God does that they didn't have a frame of reference for. They didn't have have vernacular to explain it in the way that we can understand it today. So they're doing their best job. What did it sound like? It sounded like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. I don't know what that, it sounded like the roar, like a hurricane or a train or a tornado. It sounded like the building was coming apart. And then tongues like fire sat on each. What is that? I don't know. I have no frame of reference. I've only seen a few people's hair on fire in my life. But this is more like the burning bush. They're on fire but not being consumed. 
so the Bible says that this miraculous thing happens, and we talked last week that they begin to speak in other languages. And the whole world represented in Jerusalem that day heard them speak the glories of God in their own languages. And they said, how can this be? Now we went from denying Jesus 50 days earlier to what we have just read today. So there's some things that I've, I kind of looked at what, what happened on the day of Pentecost how these men and women were transformed. And, um, and I think it's important for us to look at that today. We need a transformation. Amen. So, um, so here's the story. The disciples wait in Jerusalem, like Jesus told them to Jerusalem is still kind of reeling. They're still scared. They're still unsure about what's going to happen still dangerous. And so they wait there. They're empowered by the, powered by the Holy Spirit. And in response to being empowered by the Holy Spirit, there are some people who are saying, this is unbelievable. This is astonishing. This is amazing. I can't believe this is happening. And then some people went and they, they're drunk, crazy. To which Peter walks out and addresses the crowd. Now, now, now don't, don't forget Don't forget that 50 days previous to this situation right here, Peter is denying he he knew Jesus. That's about a month and a half. Can we agree on that? About a month and a half. 50 days previous to this day, Peter is screaming at a young girl going, I don't know it. Says he was emphatic, called down a curse. I don't know him. Today he stands up. Can we read that again? Men of Israel hear these words. Now, first of all, if 3,000 people come to Christ on that day, can you imagine what the crowd looked like? I have, I have the assistance of amplification. So I could preach three sermons in a row and not wear my voice out because I don't have to talk very loud because I can just put the microphone closer. I'm going to tell you something. That ain't the same Peter that was there 50 days previous. He wouldn't look at a schoolgirl and tell him he knew him. Now he's standing up without a microphone going, you killed the son of God. <laughs> Can I tell you a little story about me? I, um, I've been doing this. This December will be 20 years. I started December of 2000 at this church. This December will be 20 years. And this November, I will, be, will have been lead pastor four years. Four years. Feels like forever. Just kidding. That's what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say time flies when you're having fun. So I can remember in 1995, 1995, probably 95 was at Shepherd College. It was Shepherd College back then. 
not near as distinguished as it is now. I was at Shepherd College back then. I was, um, I met my wife, I think. I think we, we might've been together at that time. I wanted to be with her, but she was a little slow coming around. So <laughs> we'll just call it that. I had a speech class in 1995 at Shepherd College. And uh, some of you heard this story, but I had a speech class. You sign up for a speech class. This is an elective. You have to have electives when you go to college. So I signed up for this speech class. And, um, and I don't know, I was maybe thinking that they would just let you submit your speech by paper. But came along about, uh, I don't know, a quarter of the way into the class that they actually expected you to make a speech. <laughs> the 18-year-old Chris was not into making speeches. So when my day, I waited right up to the day, it was my turn to make the speech, and I didn't go to class. And uh, not only did I not go to class, I went to my advisor and dropped that class that day. I'm not giving a speech. <laughs> not me. I'm not standing up in front of a class of 20 people. You must be crazy. So that was 1995. Fast forward a little bit. A couple years later, uh, I, I started, uh, 96, I think we started coming to this church, 1996. And uh, I met the youth pastor here, which will be here next week. Mark Mason, Mark and Susan Mason on the 14th uh, will be here, Life on the Verge. So you make sure you are here on the 14th next week. He had a youth ministry uh, like I'd never seen before. I got involved with it. And um, one day he said, hey, why don't you, why don't you preach? It was on a Thursday night. Why don't you preach on Thursday night? And I'm like, what? So he gives me the opportunity. I got stomach cramps. Anybody been nervous before? Like to the point where you can't get out of the bathroom? So I am nervous. Because, can I just tell you this, standing in front of teenagers and preaching is the most intimidating thing in your life. Because what happens is, you automatically go back to like when you were in high school and you're like, oh, they're going to make fun of me. They're going to make fun. They're making fun of me right now. I don't even know it. They're making fun of me. I was scared to death. So, push forward 24 years. I now... I have stood under a tin roof in Africa and preached to 800 people in the middle of the night in Zimbabwe and walked up the front and the pastor go, here comes the man of God. And I looked behind me looking for him. I thought, who, who is he talking about? <laughs> like, I ain't never been introduced like that, bro. I have no idea what you're talking about. I stood in another church in Zimbabwe where they waved hankies at me. Like, ah, and I thought, I could live here. <laughs> Fast forward, I have, people, I have people message me on a weekly basis saying, man, the way you communicate. And I'm very thankful for that. It took me 24 years. 24 years. To get to where I am today. To have the courage to stand up Sunday after Sunday and say what I say and do it the way I do it. To travel to other countries and do it. To have, to have the, the ability to do all that. To, to, to hone the craft of public speaking. 
because it is a craft. It's something that I encourage pastors all over the place. Look, get better when you stand in front of people and speak. You, you should consistently get better at what you're doing. The thing that I need to point out to you today is Peter, Peter never took a public speaking class. He wasn't on a 50-day transformational journey where, where he gathered a bunch of experts on how to stand in front uh, of, of, of thousands of people at the temple and, and say things the right way to encourage them to come to Christ. He never read a book on public speaking. He never, he never went to a mentor and said, hey, listen, you're a great orator. Could you stand in front of me and teach me how to do this? Because the day of Pentecost is going to come in 50 days and I need to be ready to make the most important speech of my life. He didn't have any coaches. He didn't have any books. He didn't have anything. Matter of fact, he probably had diarrhea. (laughs) But on that Pentecost celebration, the power of the Holy Spirit fell and suddenly he was filled with courage. I said, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that you can get better at things. But we have to understand that there is a courage that the Holy Spirit can give you that you can't read enough about to get. There is a boldness the Holy Spirit can give you in an instant that you can't get coached through. That, that Peter was a guy who was doing everything he could not to step into that role. And in an instant, in a, in a moment, in an instant, the power of the Holy Spirit falls on him and he walks out and addresses the crowd. And not only does he say, you killed Jesus, he says, he was the Christ. Now, if you were in Jewish culture, I don't know which one is worse. You killed Jesus, okay. Yep, we crucified that man. Oh, by the way, he was Jesus, the son of God. Hey, now now you're messing with thousands of years. How does that happen? How can he be running one moment? How can he be denying Christ one moment? There is not enough time to get that good. There's not enough time to get that. It's been 24 years for me. Not enough time to get that good. 50 days is not enough time to become that good at anything. Come on, somebody say amen. But the power of the Holy Spirit falls and suddenly he is filled with courage. There's this giant infusion of courage. He does it after verse 12 of of chapter 3. Peter and John are at the gate this gate called beautiful, they called it the beautiful gate. They're, they heal a man and, and they're, they're, there's an explanation. There's a crowd gathers together and Peter then says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God whose mighty works and wonders and signs through him. So that's verse 22 of chapter 2, verse 12 of chapter 3. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied. That's an amazing amount of courage. That's courage that you can't just 
muster up. That's courage that you just can't switch it on like a, like a light switch. Like all of a sudden, hey, Peter, man, come on, come on. It wasn't like Peter was standing in that room going, come on, I got to appreciate 3,000 people. Come on, what, what do I look like? He couldn't get psyched up for it like a concert. He couldn't. It doesn't even say he studied. It doesn't say he, it didn't say he made any notes. It didn't say he had an outline. It didn't say he went to homiletics class. It didn't say he didn't say it didn't say he did anything but receive the Holy Spirit. Now, now listen to me. I have I have told you for the last couple of weeks. I believe in counseling. I believe in coaching. I believe in getting a mentor. I have all those things and have done all those things. But there is certain times in your life where it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can have enough courage to do what you need to do. Amen. Doesn't come any other way. There was nobody in the room that was going to psych Peter up enough to go out in front of thousands of people and tell them he was the Christ and you killed him. There's not enough money in the world to do that. There's not enough incentive. Why would you do that? The power of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly he was infused with courage like never before. I'm sure Peter remembered the words of Jesus just one chapter before, just a week before. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So, so Peter is seeing scripture. He's seeing the prophecy of Jesus fulfilled right inside of him. He's walking out. And what did Jesus say? You'll receive power to be my witness in Jerusalem. Peter walks out and says, Jesus is the Christ. It's being fulfilled in him that moment. Courage. Let me ask you this right now. What do you fear? What are you scared about? What are you... What keeps you up at night? What are you anxious about? What are you worried about? What are you, what, what's the circumstance in your life that you're not sure you can fix? You're not sure you can, can do anything about the Bible. The Bible rarely says, go get a consensus of all your friends and then they'll tell you the right thing to do. It says, be full of the Holy Spirit and he'll give you courage. Be full of the Holy Spirit and he'll give you courage. Be full of the Holy Spirit and he will give you courage. Amen. So what happens is um, he preaches and he lays it down. He says, hey, listen, you turned him over and you had him killed. And he was the Christ. God spoke about him all through the prophets. He was here with us. God confirmed him by signs and miracles. You were watching it happen. And you turned him over and let him be killed. And then they say, what should we do? You know what the worst question a preacher could get after he preaches? What should we do? And you're like, oh. Sometimes I find out people take my advice and I'm like, ooh, I hope it was the right, I hope it was the right advice. Anybody ever been in that boat? <laughs> Pastor Chris, what should I do? And I'm like, ooh. 20 years ago, I told you something real quick. I'm going to wait a second. They looked at Peter and said, what should we do? It says they were cut to the heart by his statements. And they said, what should we do? Now, let's go back. 
Peter couldn't figure out if he was for Jesus or not for Jesus the night he was betrayed. They're scared. They're going all, they don't know what to do. They're going from Jerusalem to Galilee. They're scared. They're just locking themselves in rooms. They're, they're like, Peter's like, I'm going fishing. All the rest of the time was like, hey, we'll go with you. I don't know. What are we going to do? I don't know. Figure it out. Not sure. The power of the Holy Spirit dropped that day on them, filled them with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they suddenly they had concentrated focus. There was this concentration of focus. There was an infusion of, it was like, it it was like people who couldn't make up their mind who they wanted to be, what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it, all of a sudden were saying the exact same thing all through the book of Acts. When you look from that day forward, the message was exactly the same. Peter stands in front of him and says, they were cut to the heart. What should we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every single one of you. For salvation. That's the message all through the book of Acts. Jesus was the Christ, be saved. Jesus was the Christ, be saved. Jesus was the Christ, be saved. Now, you know what's so ironic about this? They never made a mission statement. How can you stay focused without a vision statement? How can you stay focused without an org chart? I mean, Peter, who answers? Who do you answer to? Who's, how do we, what's our mission state? I'm just confused about what we're supposed to do. You didn't hear any of that. It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and they became laser focused. Laser focused. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, let me get back to you next week. I'm going to make up a game plan on how you guys can progress. And uh, we'll see if this fits. I just want to make sure with my team that this is the direction we want to head in. There are some underlying circumstances we've got to take into account. Nope. Absolute clarity. Absolute focus. He says this. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children for all who are far off. (laughs) For people who were anything but focused before that day, that day they became laser focused. So here's my question. They they never got counseling to be focused. They They never were able to take any medication to be focused. Come on, hear me out. They they were never able to, they were never never able to go through a program. They were, it was just the power of the Holy Spirit clarified their minds. Come on. Now watch. We have access to more self-help in 2020 to be focused than ever before in the history of mankind. We're the most distracted generation that has ever walked the earth. We're more distracted now than any generation has ever been before us. I realized this morning I've got a watch to tell me what the phone in my back pocket is supposed to tell me. I put my phone in my back pocket, but I need a watch to tell me that the phone in my back pocket is going off. 
Because my butt is numb now to the ringing. Every meeting you're in. Come on. Is that the gospel? Every meeting you're in. People looking at your watch. If I look at my watch, people say, hey, do you you need to answer that? I looked at my watch. But they automatically think, you looked at your watch, your phone must be ringing. You remember when looking at your watch meant you looked at your watch? (laughs) Remember that? It doesn't mean that anymore. It means you're being disturbed. It means you're not focused. It means if I see you look at your watch, I think you're not paying attention anymore. No, you might just be checking the time, but I don't know because we're so distracted. So everything we do is designed to distract us. We can't, we can't focus on anything. We're so distracted in every area of our lives. We can't pay attention to our kids. We can't pay attention to our spouse. We can't remember when it was just good when the TV was the only thing that distracted you. Now we're on the TV and on the phone at the same time. The Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and the disciples became laser focused. So, so let's, I like formulas. I like to see things repeat themselves. So let's, let's talk about a distraction formula. Let's talk about a a formula to not be distracted anymore because listen, Can I tell you the church cannot be distracted? Can I say that with confidence this morning? The church can't afford to be distracted. So, the first thing, what what, 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 what did they do? They didn't read a self-help book. They didn't. Because the irony is, in the middle of reading your book on focus, your phone will ring. Or you'll do it watching the TV. It's just all around us. So what happens? We have to remove all the distractions. Do you know what they didn't say in the upper room? They didn't say silence your cell phones, please. There was a beautiful simplistic about nature about their lives. Well, if they were in the upper room, it meant they were all together focused on the same thing. It says they were all in one accord. It says they were all together focused on the same thing. And the problem now is we can't focus on the same thing for more than about 45 seconds at a time. So the issue is we have to be responsible for removing distractions. The Holy Spirit is not going to fill us in between our tweets. Come on, you're being stingy with them this morning. The Holy Spirit is not going to fill us in between Facebook Marketplace and Instagram. It's not going to fill us in between us being distracted. He wants our focus. And the beautiful thing about the upper room is they had nothing else to do. They just went up there and said, we're going to wait until you empower us. So the message is true today. God can, is not and will not compete with everything else that we put on our plates. He's not going to say, oh, wait, I'll empower you as soon as you get off the phone. I'm just, I'm God. I got all the time in the world. <laughs> I made time. I don't need it. How about we put the phones down? Take the watches off. I told my wife the other day, I said, I'm, I'm leaving. Calm down. Not that kind of leaving. I said, I'm going to leave my cell phone here. Do you remember when you used to leave for a couple of days and nobody could get in touch with you and it was normal? Hey, where are they? Oh, they, they had to go on a trip to this place, to this place, to this place. Oh, have you talked to them? No. 
We didn't say, well, they, it's, they've been gone 10 minutes and they haven't called. I told her the other day, I'm going to leave my cell phone here and I'm leaving for a while. Because it's just so, I said, I don't think I can handle any more up here. I think it's full. And I need to focus. I need to turn my phone off. I need to turn the news. I need to focus. I don't think I can put anything else up here. Listen, knowledge does not help all the time. All the disciples knew they were supposed to do. Jesus didn't give them a 10-year plan to confuse them and them to try to figure out how to navigate through it. No, he said, you come wait on me and I'll empower you in the moment. The trouble is our lives are so chaotic because we're never empowered, because we always want to know what's happening. And he says, listen, if you will walk away and spend some time with me, I will give you laser focus and power to handle whatever you're walking through. But I'm telling you, church, we have to shut it off. We have to shut it off. You have to start going, God, you're the most important thing in my life right now. That's what the meeting in that room meant. That's what the 120 people gathered together for as long as it took. That was a signal that they made to God. You're the most important thing right now. We can't keep going unless you empower us. What's a stock market look like? No, no, no. Put it down. Walk away from it. Let him know, hey, you're it. I need empowered by you so bad that I won't check Facebook for a week. I won't check Instagram. I won't check Twitter. I won't check it. I won't. I'll just stay away and I will. I'll stay off the news. I'll stay. And guess what? The Holy Spirit fell and they were laser focused. Laser focused. It was amazing what happened. They removed the distractions. They waited. They were empowered. And then they were focused. All through the book of Acts, it was the same message over and over and over. And nobody wrote the strategy. Nobody wrote the strategy down. We have the strategy today because we're compiling a bunch of stuff that they put together. But there was no, there was no one single document that they went, this is our strategy paper moving forward. And then the last thing. I love this story because it happens so fast after they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Peter and John were walking towards the temple. Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, at the beginning of Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking towards the temple. And the Bible says that there was a man who had been there for decades, begging, crippled, who had probably asked them for money before. It was a common, common sight when you were walking in through that gate and, and probably had asked for, so they walking, remember courage and focus. They already had courage and focus. We've already talked about, they walk up to this man and he says, Hey, do you got any money? And being preachers, they didn't have any money. That's a joke. Acts chapter three, stand to your feet. We're going to read this. The band's going to come. We're going to take communion together. I know it was a lot of things at once, but we'll do them one step at a time. Follow me here. Are you ready? Seeing Peter and John go into, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze 
at him as John did. You know what that tells me? The least of these, they were walking by them, not engaging in eye contact just like we do today. Some of you will catch that next week. I've been in countries where the poor sit out on the street crippled. In Nairobi, the crippled, mangled legs sit on the side of the sidewalk where you have to walk around them. And what happens is nobody makes eye contact. Because as soon as you make eye contact with another human, you're responsible. You know I'm telling the truth. So you walk around them. They're sitting on the ground. You walk around them like this. Like you're just paying attention to where you're going. But the Bible says that Peter turned his gaze towards him. It said he turned his focus towards the guy on the ground. The guy on the ground was expecting him just to keep walking or flip a couple coins or whatever, but not engage him. So he's just, hey, could you give me some money? Could you give me some money? And the Bible says that Peter directed his gaze at the man. I'm going to look at you now because I was just filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm laser focused. I'm laser focused, bro. You asked the wrong dude for money. You asked the right guy for money, actually. And Peter directed his gaze at him as John did and said, look at us. He did one of these things. Look at me. He says this. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I do give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Suddenly there was an infusion of power into these people. It was a demonstration of God's power. But I need to clarify something really quick. Nowhere in scripture does it say that the demonstration of power was to prove that you're full of the Holy Spirit. The demonstration of power was to prove that Jesus was the Christ. It says he was confirmed to you by the powerful works he did, by the miracles he did. So so Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes, and what is confirming it? His power working through us as a testimony of who he is. So here's what happens. He said, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. Mark followed up and said, these signs will follow all who believe this. So here's what happened. If you will receive power to witness that Jesus is the Christ, to go back into your neighborhood, into your friends, into your not friends, into whoever you run into, into that boss that irritates you every week, into the controversy. If you will run into that with courage, with focus and power and proclaim Jesus as the Christ and Jesus is the author of peace and Jesus is the author of reconciliation. If you will go proclaim that, he said signs would follow. He said miracles would follow. Not to confirm that you're full of the Holy Spirit, but to confirm that Jesus is the Christ. Now watch this. The church got away from this for years and years and years. And we said, oh Lord, we want to see miracles. We want to see miracles. Jesus said he came that none should perish, but all inherit eternal life. So listen, when you become a witness, miracles will follow. 
If you don't become a witness, you'll have to make up miracles. Why would I, why, why would you have to turn on the TV and see some people make up miracles? Because nobody's being a witness. But the Bible says where we're empowered to witness the miracles are a byproduct of us doing what God called us to do. So you know the easiest way to see miracles in our families, the easiest way to see miracles in our community is to open our mouth and proclaim Jesus. Open our mouth and proclaim peace. Open our mouth and proclaim God's love to all nations. Open our mouth and proclaim unity in the body of Christ. Open our mouth and proclaim that Jesus is the only one that can save us. Open our mouth and proclaim, and he says he will fill us with the Holy Spirit to do that, and then power will follow. So Peter walks up to him and says, I don't have any money to give you, buddy. But listen, Jesus is the Christ. Stand up and walk. And the guy goes, So I want to tell you this morning. If you will wait on the Holy Spirit and receive power, he will give you courage to overcome anything that you're walking through this morning. If you'll wait on the Holy Spirit and receive power, he will give laser focus to your life. If you wait on the Holy Spirit, he will empower you. He will, he will, he will confirm that he is God in your life. So I want to pray that way. If you've got, if you've got, um, we're going to take communion together. Somebody could give me one. That'd be awesome. We're going to take communion together, but I want to pray for you. There we go. Thank you. Listen. The reason Jesus died was to save you. The reason he sent the Holy Spirit was equip you to let somebody else know that he saved you. To be a witness. And so we're going to remember that right now. If you could open up this thing. The reason Peter and John could talk to that guy, that crippled man that day, is because Jesus' body was broken. But it was resurrected. And they could look down with confidence on a man with broken legs and and, 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 a, and, a, and a disfigured body and look at him with confidence and say the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you up. We're going to remember that this morning. That's what this symbolizes, the broken body of Jesus. So, Father, we thank you. Just like Jesus broke the bread on the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks and broke it and blessed it and said this is a symbol of his broken body. They'll be broken for us. He took on every penalty that we should have bore on ourselves. But because his body was broken, there's power in our lives today. And we thank you for that, Lord. We we ask you to forgive us for not using it. But we pray in a broken world that the church would rise up because your body was broken. And we proclaim deliverance. We proclaim healing. You give us the courage and the focus and the power to do that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, you can protect together. Thank you. On that same night he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup. He says he blessed and gave thanks. He said this, this was his blood shed for us. It's what forgave us of our sins. This is a reminder that is every time we do this, Paul said, 
we remember his death until he comes. We remember the thing that unites us is that Jesus was the Christ and he died and resurrected. We remember the thing that we're forgiven because Jesus shed his blood today. We thank him for it. Lord, we thank you. And we pray that because we've been cleansed by your blood, that you'd also empower us by your spirit, Lord. To be your witness. Remind us that you have cleansed us, that you have made us whole, Lord. And that other people need to hear about it. Other people need to experience it, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you, Father, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember your death. Lord, we also remember that you have power for us we have yet to tap into. So we ask you, empower us today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.